ان الحمد لله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونعوذ بالله من شرور انفسنا ومن سيئات اعمالنا من يهده الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلل فلا هادي له واشهد ان لا اله الا الله وحده لا شريك له واشهد ان محمدا عبده ورسوله اما بعد so we began last week with the book كن سلفيا على الجاده be Salafi earnestly upon the methodology, upon the pathway Meaning that you tread upon this methodology of Salafiyyah The Quran and the Sunnah With the understanding of the Sahaba, the Salaf Upon earnestness, with seriousness So we began with an introduction Regarding Ahl Sunnah wal Jama'ah And how they are the middle path In between the other groups of innovation Who deviated either to the right or to the left Either they went to an extreme on one side or they fell short on the other side. So they had shortcomings or extremism which caused them to go out of that middle path. Whereas Al-Islam, then it teaches upon the correct methodology to be in that center path, to be in the middle, whereas the groups of innovation, they went outside of that. So we had a small part left from the introduction. Uh... And we'll complete that introduction now And then after that inshallah we'll start into the first chapter of the book So here now the shaykh says وَقَدْ أَمَرَنَ اللَّهُ عِنْدَ التَّنَازُعْ بِالرَّدِّ إِلَيْهِ وَإِلَى رَسُولِهِ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمُ That Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has commanded us If we ever differ about something If there is any issue with regards to the religion That we return that back to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala how do you return it back to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? I.e. the Qur'an. So return your affairs back to the Qur'an. If there is any disagreement, if there is any issue, so return back to the Qur'an and return back to the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And how do you return back to the Messenger of Allah? By returning back to the Sunnah. The Sunnah of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Because indeed, this religion... It is both parts. It is the Qur'an and the Sunnah with the understanding of the Salaf. Unlike some of the groups of innovation who attempt to claim that the Qur'an is enough. There are those who call themselves Al-Qur'aniyun. And they say we stick to the Qur'an only because we're certain the Qur'an is the speech of Allah. It is mutawatir, meaning that it was narrated via many different chains of narration. And there is no doubt in the Qur'an. But they say the sunnah, how can we be sure about the sunnah? Maybe it's authentic, maybe it isn't. Maybe this hadith is sahih, maybe it isn't. So they begin to bring doubts about the sunnah. However, the reality is the Prophet ﷺ said, تَرَكْتُ فِيكُمْ شَيْئَيْنِ مَا إِن تَمَسَّكْتُمْ بِهِمَا لَن تَضِلُّوا I have left two things behind. And as long as you cling on to those two, then you will not go astray. Kitabullahi wa sunnati. The book of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and my sunnah. And in fact, there are narrations from the time of the Salaf where certain individuals, they made statements of this similar nature. So there's a narration from Al-Hasan al-Basri who narrates that Imran ibn Hussein on one occasion, radiallahu anhu, was giving a lecture. So some of the people or one of the people in that lecture, he got up and he said to him, speak to us about the Qur'an only. Forget about the sunnah. 
We don't know if this hadith is authentic, if it's not authentic. Leave that aside and tell us just about the Qur'an and what is found in the Qur'an. So Imran ibn Hussain, he said to him, Udnu. He said to him, come close. So when that individual came close, he said to him, أَرَأَيْتَ لَوْ وَكِلْتَ أَنْتَ وَأَصْحَابُكَ إِلَى الْقُرْآنِ He said, do you see that if you and your companions were left to the Qur'an only, if you and your other people who are upon this methodology like you, if you were left to the Qur'an only, then how would you know that Salatul Dhuhr is four raka'at? And how would you know that Salatul Asr is four raka'at? How would you know Salatul Maghrib is three raka'at? You have to recite loudly in the first two and quietly in the third. How would you know all of these things? Because the Qur'an, it tells you about the prayer. It tells you about the prayer. It tells you to establish the prayer and the commandment for that. However, it doesn't tell you the details of how to go about performing that prayer. The details of how to perform that prayer are found in the sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ. So if an individual was only going to stick to the Qur'an, then how would he know? Based upon what evidence would he say that Dhuhr is four raka'at? Or that Maghrib is three, recite loudly in the first two and quietly in the third. That's not in the Qur'an. That information is found in the sunnah. Similarly, he said to him, if you were left to the Qur'an only, and you abandoned the sunnah, then how would you know when you make uh, hajj and umrah, how would you know that tawaf is supposed to be seven times around the Kaaba? Does it say in the Qur'an anywhere that when you make tawaf, it has to be seven times around the Kaaba? It doesn't mention that detail. doesn't mention these types of details in the Qur'an. Those details are found in the sunnah. In the Qur'an it mentions generally about umrah, about hajj, but the details of how to do it and what to do and when, all those specifics are found in the sunnah. So he said to him, how would you know when you go and make hajj and umrah that you have to do tawaf seven times? That's in the sunnah. So don't claim to me, or the, the purpose of the narration being therefore, that you don't claim that we are going to stick to the Qur'an and abandon the sunnah. It's not possible. The two of them, they go together. That's why the scholars have said that there are certain different types of relationship between the Qur'an and the sunnah. One of the relationships between the Qur'an and the sunnah is that the sunnah, it affirms that which is in the Qur'an. The sunnah affirms that which is in the Qur'an. So in the Qur'an, it tells you, for example, to worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala alone and not commit any type of shirk. That all of the prophets and messengers, they used to say to their people, Worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, you do not have any other deity to worship. Similarly, Allah said, وَلَقَدْ بَعَثْنَا فِي كُلِّ أُمَّةِ الرَّسُولَا أَنْ يَعْبُدُوا اللَّهَ وَاشْتَنِبُوا الطَّاغُوتِ We sent to every nation a messenger preaching, Worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala alone, and stay well away from all of the false deities. So the Qur'an tells you about Tawheed and staying away from shirk. The Sunnah, it also tells you that. Many narrations in the Sunnah, where the Prophet ﷺ speaks about Tawheed and shirk. That whoever dies upon La ilaha illallah without committing any shirk, دَخَلَ الْجَنَّةِ He enters into paradise. Lots of narrations. So that's an example where the Sunnah, it affirms what's in the Qur'an. The Qur'an tells you about Tawheed and not committing shirk. 
The sunnah tells you about tawheed and staying away from shirk. So the sunnah affirms what's in the Qur'an. Another type of relationship between the Qur'an and the sunnah, to emphasize this fact that they are both required together, is that the sunnah, it clarifies and explains things from the Qur'an which are general in the Qur'an. Sometimes you might have something generally mentioned in the Qur'an. The sunnah will then come along and explain to you the details of that affair, or the restrictions to that affair if there are any, or the specifics to it. So that explanation and the details are found in the sunnah. That example there, the Qur'an tells you about the prayer, the Qur'an tells you about hajj and umrah, but the details and the specifics of how to do those things are found in the sunnah. Then there is a third type of relationship also between the Qur'an and the sunnah, which is that sometimes in the sunnah you will find extra information, additional information that was not mentioned in the Qur'an in the first place. That was not mentioned in the Qur'an originally, additional details about things or extra information found in the sunnah. So for example, in the Qur'an it tells you that it is not permissible to marry two sisters at the same time. But what about if an individual was married and he wished to get married again, and he wished to marry the auntie of his first wife? Permissible or not? Why not? Doesn't say in the Quran. There's a hadith. So now that is an example where that ruling is mentioned in a hadith that it's not permissible. But in the Quran, it's not mentioned. So there are certain things that you might not find them in the Qur'an, but there are a hadith which explain those issues. Uh, for example, even some of the things that will occur on the Day of Judgment. There are certain issues that are going to occur on the Day of Judgment, which are not mentioned in the Qur'an, but they are in a hadith. And they are explained in a hadith. So from that we see the importance of the Qur'an and the Sunnah together. And that it is not possible to abandon the Sunnah with these types of doubts, that we don't know if it's authentic or if it is not, and the Qur'an, we are certain about it. Rather, it is the Qur'an itself. If a person says, I follow the Qur'an and I stick to the Qur'an, and I leave the sunnah, I'm not sure about the sunnah. That is a refutation of themselves, because the Qur'an itself tells you to follow the sunnah. There are ayat in the Qur'an which tell you to follow the sunnah. The ayah, for example, وَمَا آتَاكُمُ الرَّسُولُ فَخُذُوهُ وَمَا نَهَاكُمْ عَنْهُ فَانْتَهُوا That which the Prophet ﷺ gives to you, then accept it and take it. And that which he prohibits you from, then stay away from it. The ayah in the Qur'an tells you that. What is that? Take what the Prophet gives you and stay away from what he prohibits you. What is that? The ahadith and the sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ. That's where we're going to find out what he has commanded us and what he has prohibited us from. Similarly in the Qur'an it says, وَمَا يَنْطِقُ عَنِ الْهَوَىٰ إِنْ هُوَ إِلَّا وَحْيٌ يُوحَىٰ That the Prophet ﷺ does not speak from desire. He doesn't speak from his own desires and what he wants. Rather, when he used to give the rulings and the regulations and preach the religion, then that was revelation from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So how can an individual claim that we're not going to accept the sunnah? So that's why here the shaykh says that if any disputes occur, if any issues they occur, then it is upon the individuals to return their affairs to the Qur'an and the Sunnah of the Prophet 
Ibn al-Qayyim, rahimahullah ta'ala, one of the great scholars, the student of Shaykh al-Islam, Ibn Taymiyyah says, وَلَوْ لَمْ يَكُنْ فِي كِتَابِ اللَّهِ وَسُنَّةِ رَسُولِهِ بَيَانُ حُكْمِ مَا تَنَازَعُ فِيهِ وَلَمْ يَكُنْ كَافِيًا لَمْ يَأْمُرْ بِالرَّدِّ إِلَيْهِ إِذْ مِنَ الْمُمْتَنِعَ أَنْ يَأْمُرُ اللَّهِ تَعَالَى بِالرَّدِّ عِنْدَ النِّزَاعِ إِلَى مَنْ لَا يُوجَدُ عِنْدَهُ فَصْلُ النِّزَاعِ Ibn Qayyim says, If it was the case that the Qur'an and the Sunnah does not have the answer to your disputes and your quarrels that occur, then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala would not have commanded you to go back to the Qur'an and the Sunnah. Because it is impossible for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to say, to command us, to return our affairs and our disputes of the religion, etc. back to the Qur'an and the Sunnah, if the Qur'an and the Sunnah didn't have the answer in the first place. Clearly that indicates that the Qur'an and the Sunnah does have the answer to your affairs of the religion, and what is correct and what is not. So if you dispute over an affair, return back to those two, and you will find the answers within them. That is what is upon an individual to do in these times of disputes or issues when they occur. Then the Shaykh says, وَبَيَّنَ الرَّسُولُ صلى الله عليه وسلم أَنَّ خَيْرَ النَّاسِ قَرْنَهُ قَرْنُهُ ثُمَّ الَّذِينَ يَلُونَهُمْ فَقَالْ خَيْرُ النَّاسِ قَرْنِي ثُمَّ الَّذِينَ يَلُونَهُمْ ثُمَّ الَّذِينَ يَلُونَهُمْ Then this is the third aspect, which is the understanding of the Salaf. The understanding of the Salaf. And that is the aspect which differentiates often between Ahl Sunnah wal Jama'ah and the other groups. Every group you go to, whoever they might be, Jama'at al-Tabliq, Ikhwan al-Muslimin, whatever they are, whoever they are. They will all say to you that our religion, our methodology is built upon Qur'an and Sunnah. Everyone will say that, apart from the Qur'aniyun. They will all say to you, Qur'an, Sunnah, Qur'an, Sunnah. So then how do we know? This group, are they right what they are saying? This one, they say this, that one, they say that. How do we know what to do, where to go? One of the factors that will differentiate to you the truth from the falsehood and from the misguidance, is as Al-Imam Ahmad mentioned hundreds of years ago. Al-Imam Ahmad, who died in the year 241. Al-Imam Ahmad mentioned in those days, in the early centuries, he said, in Usul Sunnah, right at the beginning, he said, from the principles of Ahl Sunnah wal Jama'ah, is to stick to that which the companions were upon. How come Al-Imam Ahmad didn't say, from the principles of Ahlul Sunnah wal Jama'ah is to stick to the Qur'an and the Sunnah and that which the companions understood. Why did he miss out the Qur'an and the Sunnah and say straight away to stick to what the Salaf were upon? Where is the Qur'an and the Sunnah? Why didn't he mention that? When he said that it is from our principles, the principles of Ahlul Sunnah wal Jama'ah to stick to that which the Salaf were upon. He didn't say stick to the Qur'an and the Sunnah and then the Salaf. He went straight to the Salaf. Why? Straight to the point, but the Qur'an and the Sunnah is the point too. Qur'an, Sunnah, methodology of the Salaf. True, but still there was another point he wanted to make behind that. As some of the scholars have mentioned. That's true, but with regards to what we've just said. All the groups will say to you that they are following Qur'an and Sunnah. But how many of them will say to you upon the understanding of the Salaf? Not many. If any. 
other than Ahlul Sunnah wal Jama'ah. Al-Imam Ahmad, he recognized that the difference, or the way that you can recognize the difference, is that all these other groups and people, they will say to you, yes, of course, Quran, Sunnah, Quran, Sunnah. But very rarely will you find anyone say to you, Quran and Sunnah, upon the understanding of the Salaf. Because even if everybody claims they are following the Quran and the Sunnah, as they typically will do, how do you differentiate then? To work out what the understanding of that Quran and Sunnah is upon the methodology of the Salaf. That's why Imam Ahmad, he went straight to the Salaf. Straight to the point which is the criteria and the distinguishing point between Ahl Sunnah and Jama'ah and these other groups. Everyone says Quran, Sunnah, but it is only Ahl Sunnah and Jama'ah who accept and understand and implement the Quran and the Sunnah upon the understanding of the Salaf. The Mu'tazila, the Ashairah, the Jahmiyyah, these are the people, they'll say to you, Quran, Sunnah, Quran, Sunnah. But their understanding of it is deviated away from how the Salaf understood it. These are the groups and sects, they say Quran, Sunnah, Quran, Sunnah. But their understanding of the Quran and Sunnah is deviated away from what the Salaf understood. And that's what differentiates the issue. Ahl Sunnah wal Jama'ah, their understanding of Quran and Sunnah is upon what the Salaf understood. Whereas the other groups, even though they might say to you Quran and Sunnah, their understanding has deviated away from what the Prophet ﷺ understood and explained, and what the companions understood and explained. And that's why Imam Ahmad went straight to the criteria of the Salaf. Yes, Quran and Sunnah, we know that. But upon the understanding of the Salaf, and that differentiates the people because the people of innovation do not accept the Quran and the Sunnah or implement it upon the understanding of the Salaf. Then also the Shaykh says, وَأَمَرَ صَلَّى اللَّهِ وَسَلَّمْ بِاتِّبَاعِ سُنَّتِهِ وَسُنَّةِ خُلَفَاءِ الرَّاشِدِينَ وَحَذَّرَ مِنْ مُخَالَفَتِهِمْ And the Prophet ﷺ, he commanded us to follow his sunnah and the sunnah of the Khulafa'i rashidin And he warned against opposing that and opposing them. So in the hadith, a famous hadith, uh, where the Prophet ﷺ mentioned, وَعَلَيْكُمْ بِسُنَّةِ وَسُنَّةِ الْخُلَفَاءِ الرَّاشِدِينَ عليكم بسنتي وسنة الخلفاء الراشدين المهديين من بعدي تمسكوا بها وعضوا عليها بالنواجذ وإياكم ومحدثات الأمور فإن كل محدثة بدعة وكل بدعة ضلالة In this hadith in Abu Dawood and other places the Prophet ﷺ said upon you is to stick to my sunnah and the sunnah of the خلفاء الراشدين المهديين the ones who have been given the inspiration and the guided ones, min ba'di, after me, stick to the sunnah, and the sunnah of the khulafai rashidin after me, tamassaku biha, cling onto it, wa'addu alayha bin nawajif, and bite onto it with your mawla teeth, like firmly cling onto it and stick to it, and never let that sunnah go. Wa'iyyakum wa muhdathat al-umur, and be warned from the newly invented matters, the innovations, the bid'ah, because all of that is, uh, uh, all of those newly invented affairs are innovation, and every innovation is guidance. Just as the Prophet ﷺ used to say in the khutbah every week, that every innovation or every newly invented issue is an innovation, and all of those innovations are misguidance. In accordance to the hadith of Aisha radiallahu anha, where the Prophet ﷺ said, مَنْ أَحْدَثَ فِي أَمْرِنَا هَذَا مَا لَيْسَ مِنْهُ فَهُوَ رَدٍ Whoever innovates or brings about something new into this religion of ours, 
then it will be rejected. It will not be accepted from that individual. Because the criteria for any worship to be accepted, for it to be uh, good and correct, is that you must have two things, which is ikhlas, sincerity to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and al-ittiba'a, following the sunnah. Your actions can only be correct if they are done upon sincerity and following the sunnah. If an individual only has one of those two things, his actions won't be correct. If a person is doing it sincerely for the sake of Allah, he's not doing it to show off, he's not doing it so that people, they praise him, and they speak good about him, he's not doing it for those reasons. He's doing his worship purely, sincerely for the sake of Allah. But, he's not implementing the sunnah, or following the sunnah, in how he's doing his worship. So for example, the people who celebrate, the birthday of the Prophet ﷺ. Some of them, maybe, they might say to you, no, we're doing this sincerely for the sake of Allah. We're not doing it for any other purpose. It's not about gathering donations today for the masjid, nothing like that. We're doing it purely, sincerely as an act of worship to Allah to celebrate the birthday of our Messenger ﷺ. Maybe sincerity is there with some of them. But the second factor which is that you must also be following the sunnah in your obedience, is missing. Because the celebration of the birthday of the Prophet ﷺ wasn't done by the Prophet ﷺ himself, neither was it done by the companions or those who came after him. The historians have mentioned the first time this idea came about was approximately four centuries after the death of the Prophet ﷺ. And the companions we know, who loved the Prophet ﷺ the most, us now or the companions then? Clearly the answer is only one answer. The companions of the Prophet ﷺ loved the Messenger of Allah far greater than we do. They fought with him. They bled for him. But us, we cannot get to that level. And despite that, those companions عنهم, didn't celebrate the birthday of the Prophet ﷺ. Does that mean therefore that we love the Messenger more than they did? Clearly the answer to this is no. So here that's an example where somebody might be sincere, but their actions aren't in accordance to the sunnah. Therefore it's not accepted. That's why some of the salaf they used to say, كَمْ مِنْ مُرِيدٍ لِلْخَيْرِ لَمْ يُصِبْهُ How many people are there? There are many people out there who have good intentions. They say, my intention is good. They have good hearts, good intentions. But they never achieve or get the goodness that they are trying to get even though they might have good intentions and they're nice people, but they never get to that goodness that they're trying to get to. Why? Because even though they have that goodness maybe in their hearts, the sincerity maybe in their hearts, they're not following the sunnah in how they're worshipping Allah. Therefore, their actions are not acceptable. Similarly, a person, he might be following the sunnah 100%. He follows the sunnah absolutely and exactly as it should be done. But, he misses the other side, which is sincerity to Allah. So maybe somebody walks into the masjid, and he prays beautifully, absolutely perfectly, as the Prophet ﷺ taught us to pray. As he said, ﷺ, pray as you have seen me pray. Maybe this individual, he prays perfectly, every type of sunnah in his prayer, as it should be done. So you think, MashaAllah, excellent. Surely he's going to get rewarded. Look how beautifully he prays. He knows all about the prayer. He's learnt it inside and out. 
But the reality is his action isn't accepted. Why? Because the other side of it, which is the sincerity, isn't there. He only comes into the masjid and prays in that beautiful way because he wants the people to see him and praise him and give him respect for that. So he's doing it for the sake of the people. He's doing it for the sake of showing off. So even though he might be implementing the sunnah 100%, his intention and his sincerity is missing. Therefore his action is not accepted either. On the Day of Judgment it's mentioned, Shaykh Salih al-Fawzan, he said, there's a hadith where it will be said to those people who used to do their actions for other than Allah, اِذْهَبُوا إِلَى مَنْ كُنْتُمْ تُرَاؤُونَ فِي الدُّنْيَا هَلْ تَجِدُونَ عِنْدَهُمْ مِنْ جَزَاءٍ It will be said to those people, the ones who used to do their worship to show off, it will be said to them, go to the people on the Day of Judgment, go to the people who you used to show off in front of, see if they'll give you some reward now on this day. You used to show off and do your worship for their sake. So they would re- respect you and praise you. So now go to them and see if they give you reward for your worship. And clearly the answer will be nothing. So these are the two conditions that are necessity, absolute obligation for the actions to be accepted and to be correct. So then, here from this narration where the Prophet ﷺ said, upon you is to stick to my sunnah and the sunnah of the Khulafai Rashidin. The first of the believers whom we must then follow, the highest level of those believers is the companions of the Messenger of Allah ﷺ. Then Ibn Mas'ud, he stated, Ibn Mas'ud radiallahu anhu, Abdullah ibn Mas'ud, one of the great companions, he mentioned, اتبعوا ولا تبتدعوا فقد كفيتم Follow the sunnah, stick to the narrations. اتبعوا Follow the religion as it has come to you. ولا تبتدعوا And do not innovate or bring about anything new from yourselves. Follow what you have and do not bring about anything new from yourselves. فقد كفيتم Because indeed, what you have been given is sufficient for you. What you've been given is sufficient. There's no need for you to bring about anything new. And we know that for definite. Because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentioned in the Quran, الْيَوْمَ أَكْمَلْتُ لَكُمْ دِينَكُمْ وَأَتْمَمْتُ عَلَيْكُمْ نِعْمَتِي وَرَضِيتُ لَكُمُ الْإِسْلَامَ دِينَ On this day, I have completed my religion for you. وَأَتْمَمْتُ عَلَيْكُمْ نِعْمَتِي And completed or perfected my blessing upon you. And I have chosen Islam as your religion. In another ayah, وَمَنْ يَبْتَغِي غَيْرَ الْإِسْلَامِ دِينَ فَلَنْ يُقَبَلَ مِنْهِ Whoever seeks a religion other than Islam, then it will not be accepted from him. So we know that the religion is complete. There's a narration of Abu Dhar. He says the Prophet ﷺ died, and he didn't leave any information out to the extent he even told us about the birds flying in the sky. In the other narration concerning Salman al-Farisi, when some of the Jews were mocking him saying, your messenger even taught you how to go to the toilet. He said, yes, we've been taught even those affairs. Every aspect of the religion is complete. So now if an individual brings about something new, then it cannot be accepted. That's like saying the Prophet ﷺ missed this bit out, and we need to fill it in. The religion is complete. It's impossible to fill any gaps in. There are no gaps left to fill. So now if these individuals, for example, the same example, the ones who celebrate the birthday of the Prophet ﷺ, maybe some of them say to you, we know there's no evidence from the Qur'an and the Sunnah, 
But that's not the point. We're just doing it to show our love for the Messenger of Allah. We're just doing it to show our love of Allah and His Messenger. Yes, we know there's no evidence, but we're not doing it as an act of worship in that way. We say to them, it doesn't matter. It's wrong. You're doing an act which you believe is bringing you closer to Allah. It's an act of worship. You are doing this, believing it's a type of worship. That you will be brought closer to Allah via this. Via celebrating the birthday. So therefore, your action is wrong. You can't claim now, we're not doing any innovation. We're not intending this, intending that. It's irrelevant. Two factors. Follow the sunnah and be sincere. Then after that, uh, in fact, we have the statement of Imam Ahmed that we mentioned. Usul sunnah indana. From the principles of the Sunnah with us is At-tamassaku bima kana alayhi ashabu Rasulullah That from our principles is that we stick to that which the companions of the Messenger of Allah وسلم, were upon and we follow them and we leave all types of innovation. Therefore, the obligation upon every individual is to follow the Quran and the sunnah upon the understanding of the salaf. When we keep saying the understanding of the salaf, it will become clear when you begin to study the religion, and you study different aspects of the religion. So for example, the names and attributes of Allah. In the Quran it tells you some of the names, and the descriptions of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. It mentions in the Quran, for example, that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala hears and sees. وَهُوَ السَّمِيعُ الْبَصِيرُ Allah hears and sees. Some of the groups of innovation who say Qur'an, Sunnah, Qur'an, Sunnah, they came along and they said, yes, of course, the ayah is in the Qur'an, Allah hears and sees. But what that means is that Allah's knowledge encompasses everything. He doesn't actually hear and see. If Allah actually hears and sees, He's like us then. We can hear, we can see. You can't compare Allah to us. So they said, you can't compare Allah to us. This ayah doesn't mean that Allah actually hears and sees. It means something else. That's their deviation. Because the Salaf, they didn't say that. The Salaf, if you look at their books and you look at the teachings that came, they said if Allah says He is the hearing and the seeing, it means that Allah hears and He sees. The ayah is clear. How Allah hears, how Allah sees, that description we don't know. We don't know the details of how Allah does those things. But we know that He hears and He sees. How? Because the Qur'an tells us that Allah hears and Allah sees. So that's the difference. When you go to the understanding of the Salaf, then you recognize the reality of the religion and the meanings of the religion. But when you don't, you might sit there claiming Qur'an, Sunnah, but you don't have the understanding of the Salaf to back you up. That is the interpretations of their own. That they say it means this or it means that, it means this, it means that. So always... Return back to the methodology of the Salaf in understanding those affairs. That is, in essence, the introduction to the book. Uh, and then after that, the Shaykh then begins into explaining some of the affairs which are of importance to know for an individual who wishes to tread upon that methodology of being upon the Qur'an and the Sunnah with the understanding of the Salaf. What are some of the things that you must then recognize you must understand and know in order to be able to implement that properly. So the first thing the Shaykh explains is, as we've been mentioning it quite often, the Sunnah. He's going to explain what is the Sunnah. What do we mean by the word Sunnah? 
What's the description of that? What's the definition of that? So, the word sunnah. Sunnah, it's an Arabic word obviously, and in the Arabic language, linguistically, just from the language point of view, sunnah means at-tariqa wasira. It means a way or a, a methodology of doing something. Literally, the word sunnah means a way of doing something, a methodology of doing something, a particular way of doing something. That's a sunnah. So technically, a sunnah could be, linguistically speaking, it could be good or bad. Somebody might teach you how to do something bad. They explain to you how you're supposed to break into cars with pen knives. That's a sunnah. It's a methodology and a way that they are teaching and preaching to the people. But it's a bad one. And then there is sunnah which could be a good thing. Linguistically, we're talking about that. Linguistically, it is a way of doing something. And the shaykh says, we know that it can include linguistically both types, good or bad, linguistically. Because here the shaykh says, It is a way of doing something, whether it is good or it is bad, linguistically speaking. And there is a hadith which proves that. There is a hadith which proves that sunnah, the word itself, linguistically, can indicate something good or something bad. A way of doing something good or a way of doing something bad. And that is the hadith of the Prophet ﷺ in Sahih Muslim. مَنْ سَنَّ فِي الْإِسْلَامِ سُنَّةً حَسَنًا فَلَهُ أَجْرُهَا وَأَجْرُ مَنْ عَمِلَ بِهَا وَمَنْ سَنَّ سُنَّةً سَيِّئَ فَعَلَيْهِ وِزْرُهَا وَوِزْرُ مَنْ عَمِلَ بِهَا In this hadith, the Prophet ﷺ, he said, Whoever introduces a good sunnah, meaning revives a good sunnah, teaches the people some of the sunnah from the sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ. Whoever does that, then he will get the reward of it and all of those who then act upon what he teaches them. Similarly, the Prophet ﷺ said, and whoever teaches the people a bad sunnah, he teaches them something wrong and incorrect and a bad methodology. The word used is sunnah. Whoever teaches them a bad sunnah, man sanna sayyia sunnatan sayyia, then upon him will be the, the evil recompense and all of those who acted upon it also. Their evil recompense upon him also. So here the Prophet ﷺ explained, it's possible to have the good sunnah and the bad sunnah. And that is from the linguistic point of view. As for the Islamic meaning, Islamically what do we mean when we say the sunnah, the sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ? There are different definitions of it depending on which angle you look at it from. So the muhaddithin, the scholars of hadith, they used to explain that the sunnah is, مَا أُثِرَ عَنِ النَّبِيِّ صَلَى اللَّهِ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمْ مِنْ قَوْلٍ أَوْ فِعْلٍ أَوْ تَقْرِيرٍ أَوْ صِفَةٍ خِلْقِيَّةٍ أَوْ خُلُقِيَّةٍ أَوْ صِيرَةٍ سَوَاءً كَانَ قَبْلَ الْبِعْثَةِ أَوْ بَعْدَهَا That it is everything that has been narrated from the Prophet sallam. Everything or that which has been narrated from the Prophet ﷺ, from statements, the statements he used to make, or from his actions, certain things that he used to do, 
or his acknowledgements. Acknowledgements meaning sometimes the companions, they would do certain things. And the Prophet ﷺ was still alive and the revelation was still coming down. If what the companions were doing was wrong, then surely, definitely the Prophet ﷺ would have stopped them and corrected them. So the fact that sometimes the companions did things and the Prophet ﷺ never corrected them, allowed them to carry on, indicates that what they were doing was correct and it was okay. So that is taqreer. It is acknowledgement from the Prophet ﷺ that such and such an action is good and it's correct. Uh, or sifa, or from the characteristics of the Prophet ﷺ, either his physical characteristics or his manners and his behaviors, all of these things that have been narrated to us, or his methodology of doing things, all of this can be considered as sunnah, whether that is before he was made a prophet or even after. That is one of the definitions the scholars have given for that. Another definition that sometimes you hear for the word sunnah is something which the Prophet ﷺ explained which isn't in the Qur'an. And that's clear to understand. Qur'an and sunnah. Qur'an is the Qur'an, the speech of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The sunnah is that which came from the Prophet ﷺ. Revelation, of course, it was too. But that came from the Prophet ﷺ. Also, sometimes you hear the word sunnah to mean something which is not obligatory. They say to you, such and such is wajib, it's fard, and such and such is sunnah. So sometimes you hear it being used like that. Meaning sunnah, that it's not something obligatory to do. Whereas wajib and fard is something obligatory to do. However, the word sunnah, when the salaf, they explain this, is greater than all of that. The sunnah, salaf, when they spoke about the sunnah, is the most the most encompassing and the general type of meaning of it, which is that the sunnah is the conform, when you conform to the conformity to the Qur'an and the sunnah, in being in agreement to the Qur'an and the sunnah, when you follow the Qur'an and you implement that accurately, and you are following the sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ, the statements and the actions and the acknowledgements and everything we've been taught you're following that accurately. And what the companions were upon in terms of your aqidah, in terms of your obedience and your worship, in terms of your dealings with the people and your businesses, in terms of your manners and your morals and your behaviors. In all of those aspects, when you are sticking to the Qur'an, you're sticking to the sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ, that all of that is termed as being sunnah. Because all of that is in opposition to the other side, which is, Bid'ah. So in that sense, the meaning of sunnah is that which opposes bid'ah. And that which opposes bid'ah and is on the opposite side of bid'ah is the authentic following of the sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ, the statements, the ahadith, and the Qur'an, and the understanding of the salaf. 
So it is that general picture of everything which opposes bid'ah. That is the sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ. So when they say that such and such is upon the sunnah, then they mean by that, that his actions and his aqidah and his methodology, all of that is in accordance to the Qur'an and the sunnah. He is upon the sunnah. And when they say such and such is upon the bid'ah, he is upon innovation, i.e. that his actions and his aqidah, his beliefs, his methodology, then those types of affairs are in opposition to the Qur'an and what the Prophet ﷺ taught. So then you have the two general distinct, uh, uh, factors of sunnah and bid'ah. Shaykh al-Islam ibn Taymiyyah. He says, لَفْضُ السُنَّةِ فِي كَلَامِ السَّلَفِ يَتَنَاوَلُ السُنَّةِ فِي الْعِبَادَاتِ وَفِي الْعْتِقَادَاتِ The word sunnah, when the salaf used to use the word sunnah, then it encompasses and includes your worship, your acts of obedience, the prayer, the hajj, the zakat, different acts of worship, and also your aqidah, it encompasses that too. وَإِن كَانَ كَثِيرٌ مِمَّنْ صَنَّفَ فِي السُنَّةِ يَقْصُدُونَ الْكَلَامِ فِي الْاَعْتِقَادَاتِ And even if a lot of the people who wrote about the sunnah, then they used to refer to that in terms of the aqidah. But in reality, it is the aqidah, it is the ibadah, the worship, all of that is encompassed within the sunnah of the Prophet So therefore the sunnah is all of that which is authenticated and proven from the Prophet ﷺ in terms of the speech, his commandments, the speech that he made, the ahadith that are narrated from him with that regard, his actions that he used to do physically, things that are narrated that the Prophet ﷺ used to do such and such in such and such a way, or that he used to do this in that way. Those actions that are narrated from him, similarly the acknowledgments as we said, where the companions used to do certain things and used to allow that to go, indicating that it was correct and permissible. All of those types of things are included in the sunnah. Whether it's to do with aqidah, whether it's to do with worship and ibadah, whether it's to do with mu'amalat, your dealings and your businesses, your behaviors, your manners, your morals. All of those affairs, as they've been narrated from the Prophet authentically are the sunnah. That is the all-encompassing sunnah. Then after that, we look at the name Ahl Sunnah wal Jama'ah. What time is Maghrib? Twenty-five. Okay, inshallah. Well, in that case, we'll conclude there then, and we'll start this next section next time. The section, the next chapter, in fact, which is explaining the term Ahl Sunnah wal Jama'ah. When we say Ahl Sunnah wal Jama'ah, even that term, you hear all types of people saying we are Ahl Sunnah wal Jama'ah. We are Ahl Sunnah wal Jama'ah. They are Ahl Sunnah wal Jama'ah. Even the Sufis, some of them, they say we are Ahl Sunnah wal Jama'ah. So, what is Ahl Sunnah wal Jama'ah? What does this name mean? Where did it come from? What's the meaning of it? And where is it applicable to? And then after that, we we'll look at some of the other names too. There are several other names that the uh, Ahl Sunnah wal Jama'ah named themselves with throughout time. For example, Ahl al Athar and also Ahl al Hadith at that time. الفرقة الناجية الطائفة المنصورة السلفي السلفيون all of these different names then what do they mean how do they come about what's the intention behind them who are in reality أهل السنة والجماعة that is the next chapter that the Shaykh will explain which will begin inshallah next time
which is in two weeks' time. Huh? In two weeks' time. Next week is the conference in Birmingham. Uh, and everybody should try to attend that, inshallah. And then the week after that, we'll come back to continue with this. Uh, that chapter that we just mentioned. And then the chapter after that is a detailed explanation of who the Salaf are. Because we've been mentioning that quite a lot too. The Salaf, the understanding of the Salaf. So a detailed explanation of who the Salaf are. Who are they? That will be one of the chapters coming on after that too, inshallah. So we'll conclude upon that for now.